Welcome to Mountain Whispers Podcast. I'm Tim Stewart, and this is a show exploring the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. I usually chat to people within mountain culture about the lessons they've learned from peak states, fear, risk, and death. But this episode is slightly different. In this episode, I chat to Simon Yugler, who is a depth psychotherapist and psychedelic integration coach. Like I said, this is an exploration of the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors and how the outdoors enable us to experience these peak states of flow, these rare moments of stillness and clarity where we feel and perform at our best, but are also able to make sense of, our, of the world and our place within it. I see this exploration similar to, to, to Robert Persick's exploration of quality in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And it's, it's kind of like a, an exploration, but also a grappling process of, of viewing something through multiple different frames. So far in the series, we've spoken mostly with athletes and explored the first-hand accounts of how skill, risk, and adrenaline and being at the whim of Mother Nature come together to bring us these flow states of, of stoke and clarity. But in terms of how and why these peak transformative states occur, it's more of a mystery. In the world of flow states and, and positive psychology, books like Flow or, or Stealing Fire do a good job of connecting the dots between psychology and neuroscience, but they conveniently leave a gap when it comes to perceiving the self and the transformation of the self. This is where I see deep psychology coming in to provide an interesting frame. This is a subcategory of psychology that's primarily focused on the unconscious mind, i.e. the 90% of the self that is below the water level of the iceberg, and the thing that influences most of our thoughts and behavior. While our conscious mind always provides reasons for our thoughts and, and behaviors, more and more evidence is coming out suggesting that this is just our conscious mind rationalizing that which is coming from the unconscious mind. Deep psychology provides us with a tool to get a glimpse of the unconscious through use of symbols, images, metaphors, through the likes of, of dream interpretation and, and things like that. But what's interesting is it provides a tool to interpret the black box of the soul and psyche. So it, so it gives us something to work with in exploring how adventure sports and the natural world can stir something up inside of us that is so powerful and transformative. So that's a little bit of preamble in terms of where this conversation fits in. In this episode, we chat about Simon's relationship with the outdoors and how that's developed with time as he's explored the world and depths of depth psychology. We talk about the concept of initiations and how these rituals have existed for the vast majority of human history, but aren't there presently. How initiation facilitates transformation and how adventure is absolutely intertwined 
within initiation rituals, which may explain, while in the absence of formal initiation rituals within the West, we're drawn to adventure sports, perhaps as a form of of self-initiation. Finally, we chat about the rational versus the more than rational, and the limits of the scientific method and how the act of suspending disbelief and opening ourselves up to the more than rational often opens the door to, to more meaning and transformation. So as you can tell, this is a, an intellectual adventure for sure. Please enjoy this episode with Simon Yugler. Cool, well I'm here with, with Simon Yugler. Simon, welcome to, to Mount Whispers. How's it going? Thank you so much, Tim. Yeah, it's going great. Cool. So um, this this show is uh, an an exploration into the, the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. Perhaps we could start off by you sharing a little bit more about where you are right now and, and maybe kind of what you're learning from the outdoors there. Sure. Right now, I am on the south coast of Jamaica, looking at the Caribbean Sea. Um, and I'm here working as a psychedelic therapist with a uh, organization called Myco Meditations, which is a psilocybin-assisted therapy retreat center based here in Treasure Beach, Jamaica. Wow, cool! And, and we'll definitely get more into the the psychotherapy space and and um, and and perhaps the psychedelic space, um, but um. Uh, I know you're a well, well-traveled man. Um, I'm curious how your relationship with the outdoors has changed as you've grown up. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. That's a wonderful question. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll begin at the beginning. Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And one of the things that makes Portland, you know, one of my favorite cities in the world is the fact that there's so much um, natural abundance, so much nature within the city limits. So we have a massive park called Forest Park, which is essentially a huge swath of preserved forest. Um, what once was old growth, you know, was logs back in the day, but is now very soon becoming old growth again. So I grew up, you know, on these trails um, on the west side of Portland. Um, you know, connecting with the environment of the Pacific Northwest. And I never really understood how much that meant to me until I left Portland and moved to San Francisco and then moved to Vermont. Um, but the, the ecology, the trees, the mountains, the air of Oregon, um, specifically those hills that I kind of grew up on have always felt like home. You know, when I walk in parts of um, parts of Portland, parts of Forest Park, you know, I, I feel relaxed and at ease and at home on a cellular level. So something that has changed for me over time is this notion of being, of belonging to a place and um, being, yeah, being, being, a part of a place, 
Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the place that you come from. You know, some people belong to places that they come to later in life, right? Like, um, you know, I know you moved across the world from New Zealand to Canada, you know, so maybe that relationship has shifted for you as well to land. But to me, it's a sense of, of feeling a connection to place that transcends the finite period of my years on earth, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that resonates a lot. I, um, what came up, what, what struck me about what, what you shared was, uh, did you say, uh, um, uh, a deeper connection on a, on a cellular level or something thereof. Um, it, it reminds me of a quote by I think Ken Kesey of the, the world is full of magical things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. And um, it's a, been a similar experience to, to me in that I um, it's, it's only been in the last couple of years that my, my senses have grown sharp enough to start to like feel this kind of thing. And, um, it's, uh, it, it was in Canada, I guess. And it's part of why I started this project is, is, is in the exploration of like what it is that our senses can start to pick up in regards to the, the magic of the outdoors. Um, and so, um, when I, when I got the chance to go back to New Zealand, like a, a year or so, it was like almost like rediscovering the magic of this place. Cause it wasn't even something that I considered, um, when I was last there, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. When, um, it, it was it similar with you. It sounded like, uh, when do you think, can you remember a, a specific moment where you became aware of, of that connection or that belonging? You know, it's hard to pinpoint a certain moment to me, that sense of connection and, and, and belonging kind of lives in the senses. It lives in particular types of smells and scents that I feel like only emanate from the soil of that particular swath of land, you know? Um, it comes in the form of a deeper familiarity with seasons and noticing the changes in air quality and crispness and temperature and you know the different kind of moods of rain that we get in the pacific northwest you know um and it also comes in the form of memory you know i grew up in on some of these trails you know um so there are certain trees that i have known and have known me my entire life. Mm. I really like that. Um, and so I, uh, you, you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but I know, uh, were you a, a guide or what was the, the role of you, you working in the, the tourism or, or guiding space? Sure, yeah. I, I was what they call an experiential educator um, and I worked for a company based in Portland called Carpe Diem Education which runs gap year semesters for kids mostly just out of high school but some of them are in college 
and we do three month long semesters abroad, you know, with, with a small group of students doing immersive travel, you know, across um, developing countries. Um, so I led a semester, my first semester was in East Africa, in Tanzania, Rwanda, and Uganda. Um, the second semester I led was Ecuador and Peru. Um, and then the third semester I led was the South Pacific in New Zealand, Fiji, and Australia. Um, and during that time, I also started working with National Geographic Student Expeditions, which does similar kinds of trips, but, but for shorter durations. Um, and so with Nat, Nat Geo, I worked um, two programs, one in Costa Rica and one in Fiji. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, um, the, the reason that interests me is that um, there's, a, like, there's a, an element of, of travel or adventure um, that is deeply transformative and and it's often uh it's funny in in like new zealand it's cultural for you to have an, an oe and an, an overseas experience because new zealand is is so isolated it's just something you do in your 20s and and it's like i i, I think it's you, you can almost see how it, it adds to a level of uh of, of maturity and and growth um I'm, I'm curious like what like if you could speak to like how adventure allows for that or, or creates a container for transformation. Mm -hmm. that, that is such a great question and something that, you know, I've thought a lot about um, because travel and adventure has been one of the deepest forms of initiation for me. You know, I think going on solo travel adventures you know, can be a deeply initiatory experience for people. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of symbolic parallels between initiation, you know, traditional initiation rituals and travel. You know, you have to go through the separation phase, you know, which is going through all these sort of severances, leaving the place you're from, packing your bag, literally going through checkpoints and gates, you know, to kind of get in this confined container of a plane uh, that you have to kind of pass all of these uh, oftentimes ridiculous tests to get into. Um, and that's just the first phase. Then, you know, you get to wherever it is that you're going and you are in what's called the liminal space. Limin, liminal coming from the word lemon, which means threshold, you know, so you're in, um, you're navigating this liminal space when you are traveling and abroad. Um, and usually, you know, in traditional initiation, um, there is some kind of ordeal or wound or trial that people have to go through. And I know just speaking for myself, you know, some of my early travels in um, my first kind of real solo trip was to Australia, where I lived in an uh, Aboriginal community for a summer. And then my next big trip was through the Middle East and East Africa. And yeah, you can be sure there were some trials uh, in, in some of those places, you know, um, everything from having loaded assault rifles pointed at my face by the Israeli, Israeli military to getting kind of uh, shaken down on a train 
by the Tanzanian military uh, to all kinds of, you know, strange encounters with people on streets and, you know, back alleys and all the things that happen, you know, you are, you are at the whim of the world and whatever kind of archetypal forces um, deem it necessary to meet you, right? And, and responding to and working through those experiences, uh, at least for me, helped me get to know myself. Right. And then I think the third phase of initiation, which is the return, is actually the hardest for people in our culture because we're really good at, at leaving the familiar and throwing ourselves into intensity. Right. But we're not really good at welcoming back, you know, the soldiers from war. We're not really good at welcoming back the students who just had a complete mind altering experience living in a developing country, you know, we're not good at welcoming back people who, you know, just went through a serious ordeal. So for me, I think the return, um, that reintegration has been the longest um, and really most rewarding part of the experience because I've had to digest and metabolize years and years worth of experiences and somehow transmute them into what I do today, you know, transmute them into some form of a gift, which is the ultimate crux of initiation is returning the gift to the community and being in service. There was so much there. There was so much there. Um, I, I, I'd love to kind of, um, circle back into uh, exactly what initiation is and, and depth psychology. But um, just on, on that note, I find that's, that's so um, like the challenge of the return is something you see so often when people return from, from travel or, or like a, a, a deeply meaningful experience or even like a, honestly, like a, a, a ceremony in, in the Amazon. It's like, a, I saw this, why don't you get it? Like, it's not me. It's the world kind of thing. Um, uh, and um, yeah, and and I I, I used to, like su- suggesting that's that's part of like these like the separation that hasn't been fully reintegrated in. Yeah, um, Michael Mead, who is is one of my teachers and and one of the kind of uh, elders at this point of the mythopoetic kind of world currently as as it is, talks about. Uh, what he calls unfinished initiations, which are initiations, you know, um, that a lot of modern Western people go through, um, whether if it's military service or an illness or travel or, you know, um, immense kind of psychedelic exploration, the initiation is unfinished because there's a crisis of return. And that's really because there's a crisis of community in our culture and all in our world. Because if there's no village to uh, welcome you back, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
to me to me like that that community element is that um like in 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 the western where we don't have the tools to talk about exactly what that's going on in, in transfer like the, the transformational process that is taking place in that that initiation and, and therefore how you you bring it back together like a, a lot of uh other societies have like myths that they can easily layer on but we're we're as, as western society are so invested in the scientific model um that if we can't have like a scientific myth like model to explain um like that initiatory process it doesn't exist kind of thing yeah 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 mali doma somay who is a teacher from west africa um, talks about has a really brilliant book on ritual and community and essentially making the point that without community ritual cannot take place and that without community you can't really come into your full self because there's no one to witness and celebrate and hold you you know mm-hmm. mm. I'm, I'm just aware um that it, it, there may be people listening who who is the first time hearing about um, like it, it, the the three steps in uh, initiation. Are you are you able to just circle back on exactly what this process is? Sure. Yeah. It it initiation is is a ancient form of what Bill Plotkin calls soul making, which is really the making of a complete human being. And at a certain point in Western culture, we thought to do away with initiation um, and orient ourselves exclusively towards a kind of linear future, whether if that's heaven or some kind of infinite growth tied to the monetary system. Um, that's what we hitched our kind of cart to. Whereas in more traditional and tribal societies, initiation was a process of specifically for men, because women have other, you know, bodily somatic initiations that come regardless. But for men, there has to be a um, imposed, culturally created rite of passage that welcomed someone from childhood through adolescence into adulthood, meaning that you know, childhood is dead, right? A lot of these, these ceremonies were, you know, the children were taken away, uh, oftentimes frightfully from their mothers, um, you know, put in a cave or in a little hut somewhere out in the bush. And, you know, for weeks and months would be um, instructed and challenged and put through all kinds of intense, ceremonies and rituals to challenge them and push them and essentially break them down um, so that they could rejoin the tribe with some newfound sense of responsibility and identity and um, an understanding of what it is that we're all doing here. Um, You know, there's there's a transmission of something sacred that occurs in the initiatory process um, and, and for that to fully take root, you know, the initiate has to come back 
into the community as a new being um, with some form of gift or vision, you know, to offer to the collective, whether if that's their service as a warrior or just something, you know, deeply significant that they have earned and which is honored by everyone else. Mm. The, the, the idea of initiations and, 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 and rite of passage and, and ensoulment is something that's like really resonating and something I've been exploring over the last year or so, but I'm trying to, um, it was, it was really hard for me to, to like grok it or understand where it fits in when, when I first like came across this idea. So I'm trying to think back to like my, myself a year and a half ago and, and how I modeled this. And, and so, um, I, I think of, uh, this is kind of, um, I mean, uh, f- fill in the gaps where, um, w- w- but, um, with anything I miss here, but, um, this like falls within the space of, of depth, um, psychology, which is psychology primarily focused on the unconscious, i.e. we know that our conscious mind is just the tip of the iceberg. A lot of, of what informs our thinking and decisions and emotions are, are below the surface. And this is the depth psychology is the, the exploration of what's below the surface. And in terms of the idea of initiation ritual, it, it seems like this is a, an interesting topic that kind of floats in between depth psychology, anthropology, history, religion, is, is, is that accurate or, or, or fill in the gaps there? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I don't know if initiation falls under the fold of depth psychology or if depth psychology falls under the fold of initiation. I'm not sure which way it is. Um, it might be a chicken or the egg scenario there but sure. uh yeah no you're absolutely right Tim. It, i think this concept of initiation does kind of dwell in the space between depth psychology religion um you know uh, kind of human potential what have you right um i think because there is a thread and a theme of um, knowing oneself and 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 getting being confronted by powers greater than oneself, which ultimately um, soften, crack, dissolve the ego, so that the soul can emerge. Beautifully said. I. Uh, um... Yeah, as you say that, it makes me realize um, that I um, previously in in like in being like focused on, let's say, person development or 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 bettering myself, um, I uh, I would put something into the box of like this is either science or this is woo woo, and anything I didn't understand was woo woo. You know, anything that I couldn't like clearly put a box on is was woo woo, and and as you like describe that in terms of like better knowing the self, it makes me think that um, like 
as we know, the self is so malleable as we like as we go through time and space and life and and and, and maturity. So much is changing that you can't like the only way to 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 describe um, or or find these trends or or find like these patterns is through um, like myths or or metaphor or, or or like viewing it through through that lens. I'm curious if you ever um this is probably just like one of the the unique uh challenges i had as being like a very rational thinker how did you get introduced to depth psychology or the more than rational the more than rational i love that um i was introduced to depth psychology and specifically the work of carl jung in high school i was fortunate enough to take a psychology class in high school and i remember learning about Jung and just doing a little bit of dream work, you know, and kind of just immediately being like, oh yeah, this is, this is my shit right here. <laughs> like, this is my guy. Um, and I think, um, you know, psychedelics played a massive role, to be honest, psychedelics and plant medicine in general. Um, and I include cannabis in that, you know, um, uh, I think as a teenager, I was very fortunate to grow up in a place with an abundance of um, mind-altering substances of a very high caliber. And, you know, cannabis kind of opened the door to a different way of perceiving. And, um, and then early experiences with mushrooms and, you know, uh, yeah, early experiences with mushrooms helped me understand that there was an entire realm of consciousness exploration that um, was much, much older than I could even fathom. So I, I, I do directly credit psychedelics and plant medicine with um, helping guide me towards, um, what did you call it? The more than rational realm. Yeah, that it's funny. It's actually been a similar entrance for me I, on the note of Jung though. I remember I, I only first got introduced to Jung, um, or, or actually like to the, I first gave space to the idea of the collective unconscious january of 2020 and i remember there being a period where i was like how like the the idea of um what is it called like entj myers-briggs model that he kind of helped develop person i was like that's like pretty rock solid psychology yet like collective unconscious like anima all this stuff is like is like pretty woo woo stuff like how come like this part of his work has been like rock solid science. And this, this part is like completely rejected. And, and it was like that tension that like helped me actually like open the door. Um, but it, uh, I mean, open the door to this like mytho side, but it was um, like the first like psychedelic experiences that, um, that really um, opened up my senses to, to the more than rational. I, I remember there being a moment where like, I, I had this like, um, kind of like a vision but also like this like real like very embodied realization that um like 
the the scientific method which i based all my thinking on um was capturing a portion of reality but there was so much more reality outside of that box that the scientific method wasn't wasn't picking up and it was like that realization that like gave me permission to actually explore the more than rational mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think something that we as a civilization are struggling with still is the legacy of um yeah i'm just going to say the legacy of of descartes of rene descartes which is the legacy of uh dualism immense dualistic thinking living subjects and dead objects right humans being the exclusive province of um, rationality, of spirit, of intelligence, of consciousness, matter being dead and empty and devoid of anything having to do with intelligence, consciousness, spirit, psyche. Um, I think we're kind of slowly sort of like crawling our way out of you know the last 600 years of of that uh, very kind of oppressive uh dualistic worldview yeah yeah i um i i remember when i first realized that hang on like the world isn't getting like more true and closer to absolute truth there's like it's more like sociological phenomena that just like dance around different places. Funny enough, the, the, the time I realized that was when I um, was when the flat earth movement was like gaining traction. And it just like, it just flummoxed me how, like, how can this idea be gaining more traction when it's far from the truth? And, and it like, it wasn't until later that it was actually like true. Yeah. Truth is, is, is an interesting concept. I, um, it's like, in terms of how like the the west has like moved towards um this dualist thing and almost like just put itself in a bind in dualistic thinking now there's all this tension around like um uh I, a lot of people talking about the meaning crisis and that like um towards the late 90s um the like atheism grew and now um it's it's become clear in the last 20 years that um there's like the scientific method still leaves this hole in the soul, you know, this like, um, and, and it's interesting. People talk about it as like the occult revival or, or um, like astrology is, is becoming a lot more popular. It seems like people are, um, like society is craving for that, like that deeper meaning. Um, uh, yet society doesn't have like an institution to, to hold that you know and the ones that are supposed to are rapidly falling apart yeah yeah it's accurate mm -hmm. cool. All right, so i'd love to tie this back to the the deeper lessons to the the outdoors because the, there is absolutely um a, a relationship here and that um the i mean the the reason i started this project is is that i like I, I have this deeply intuitive sense that that spending time outdoors and 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 specifically um, 
like in uh like mountain sports or adrenaline sports like there, there is this element of of transformation that that takes place there um and in order to um like see that transformation um or to like create a practice that enables transformation you kind of have to like open yourself up to that more than rational you know and i see like time like spending time outdoors and 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 like creating some like stillness to open yourself up to to the wisdom of outdoors as a modality that is like similar to say taking something like like psychedelics i'm curious if you have if you had to like define a practice um or describe point to a practice um that you have to really open yourself up to the the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the more than rational. What, what are some of the practices that you have for that? Hmm. That's a great question, Tim. Um, one practice that I often do um, when I'm at home that is a very, um, very easy practice to do for anyone. Uh, it does come from the world of Bill Plotkin. Um, I think he calls it a, a, a wander. Basically, you know, if, if you're kind of churning on some question or something is, is up for you, you know, um, to take a hike in nature somewhere, but to treat it as a kind of um, slightly ritualized experience. So essentially you enter the forest you know, you make some sort of an offering to the earth, to a tree, whatever. I usually use tobacco, kind of asking for guidance or assistance with whatever it is that you're grappling with. And to use that walk and the murmurations of nature to kind of point you towards different ways of approaching whatever the question is you know it, a bird might fly in front of your face and trigger some sort of a emotion right you might see a tree sort of bending and weaving just so slightly with the wind and creaking and that might evoke something for you that leads you down a certain avenue of inquiry right so to to interface with the more than human world and to dialogue with it as a way to kind of, yeah, to, as a way to kind of connect with both the more than human world, but also the more than rational self, you know, the parts of ourselves that are, that defy rationality. Um, and then, you know, to, to come back to where you started and make another offering of gratitude to close that experience and to go home. That's beautiful. I, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's like a, a practice. I, um, have like, I, I haven't rich, I haven't like ritualized it my, myself, but I, I, I've started to like get like a, a grasp of the, the magic of like opening and, 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 and closing a space like that. I, um, I, I'm trying to think of, uh, 
how myself two years ago would have interpreted this and 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 walk back from it um like and and i think when i first tried this practice um there was like this deep frustration that nothing was coming almost like an impatience of like i'm i'm doing it why don't i why didn't i feel it like the there's a it's like a slow process of allowing your senses to grow sharper to the to the more than human world to the the more than than rational world do you have like advice on on that process yeah i mean what's coming to me right now thinking about the world of mountain sports um you know and extreme sports in general i think you know sometimes there can be a desire that we are all susceptible to because it's in our culture on a foundational level but a desire to kind of conquer and a desire to sort of um establish domination over a mountain over a ski slope over a rock wall whatever it is it's like i'm gonna crush this you know that's what we say i'm gonna crush this um and to you know approach a mountain to approach a hill or a cliff face with that energy you know you might crush it and that might feel great but I don't imagine that that mountain or that cliff face will really want to share its secrets with someone who wants to conquer it. So to me, it speaks to a deeper way of relating with the natural world, which is partnership and relationship rather than domination and colonization. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, it reminds me of this quote from, there's a documentary on Netflix called Mountain. And, and the line that just speaks to me more than, than anything is, so into the mountains we go in headlong pursuit of peril, the testing ground in which the self is best illuminated. And I think part of the reason the outdoors and, and outdoor sports is, is so transformative is because it's that, that testing ground. Um, but it's very easy to treat that like the testing ground with the relationship of like, I'm going to conquer you. This is the, the platform for me to, to reach these, these peak experiences and, and transformation and, and shut down the idea of like, of reciprocity, you know, or that there's a relationship that there's, there's more, the outdoors is more than just a platform for you to conquer. Um, yeah, mm. Absolutely. I think these spaces want reciprocity and, and, and require it, you know, for that deeper communication to occur. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's, there's ways to establish reciprocity with the natural world that we have lost a long time ago as, as people from the West, but, you know, in places like Peru, for instance, they have this practice of the kintu, which is basically the kintu is an offering of three coca leaves that are offered to the spirit of a mountain, what they call an apu. And you basically give your, your coca leaves, you give your breath, you give your words of prayer to, you know, this mountain spirit 
and you make that offering. It's, it's, it's a very simple, beautiful way of acknowledging, you know, that we are in relationship. Mm. I'm curious if anything comes to mind, if, um, based on this space, I, I, it feels like these are like, um, like softer levels of meaning and relationship. Like when, when you go, um, like when you're mountain biking and, 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 and you feel the, 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 like the, the stoke and the transformation and, 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 and that area, it's, it's very easy. It's like, it's, it's a hard, it's a, it's a loud, uh, experience where, whereas like, creating a ritual to to engage with nature is is like a very soft and, and subtle experience I, I i'm wondering if you could share a story with um one of those rituals that have taken place like recently and and what that like journey was like just to give us a, a, a little bit more insight i mean i don't i don't have first of all i'm going to say like i don't have the answer um, I think this is like a deep collective cultural question and process that we all can respond to if, if we accept the mission, right? Um, so before I get kind of too hasty in kind of giving prescriptions of what to do, I think I just want to like make clear that this is, this is a journey for people to discover on their own and also in community um, what works for them, what is actually going to feel relevant for them. Um, and I also wanna clarify, like, there's nothing wrong with being stoked. There's nothing wrong with having an incredible mountain bike ride down a slope, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, you know, with that said, just to answer your question, what comes to mind is I'm actually thinking back to one of the study abroad semesters that I led in New Zealand. And the, I think the most impactful period of that entire trip, for me at least, was the two weeks we spent um, with the Maori community um, near Raglan on the North Island. And there's some really wonderful people there that, uh, that, that we were staying with. We were staying on a marae in a Maori community. And our host there, really wonderful man named Tiaki Coates, um, just also deep in, deeply involved in rites of passage work, men's work, um, Maori cultural revitalization, he took us on a hike up Mount, I believe it's Mount Karioi, which is uh, the mountain outside of Raglan. And so we hiked up this beautiful sacred mountain. And, you know, when we got to the top, we all sat down and we did a meditation. And, you know, I remember leading a meditation after this long, pretty extensive hike of kind of relaxing our bodies and feeling the support of this mountain and feeling our roots, imagining our roots sinking in to Karioi and, and connecting with this being. 
you know, and, and feeling that interconnectivity of this space, this beautiful mountainside that we had just been ascending and connecting with to give ourselves, you know, 15, 20 minutes to actually feel what it, what it is like to be in relationship to this mountain, to lay down, you know, on its slopes and to see what messages it might have to offer. Mm. Yeah, that's a, a great example. Cario is a, a beautiful mountain. I, I went to university just out uh, in, in, in the city of Hamilton. And so it's like, for, for content, these are all uh, like extinct volcanoes, kind of a hundred million years old or so. And they all, they all dot around the Waikato, but that one, it's like one, the, the hike is actually really fun. There's a lot of chains to get up there. And then just the view of the, the West coast is gorgeous. From there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Incredible place. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that, that comes to mind for me, um, just for the other, like, I'm thinking myself two years ago um, is like, while like these practices of like considering the more than rational are, are often uncomfortable, um, it's, especially if it's outside of your frame of view, like the a thing that actually changed, like helped convince me to consider it was um, like realizing that at minimum, even if this is woo-woo, it so often leads to that extra level of energy. Like when I, when I think about like in this corporate frame, the like, the stupid like productivity tips that I'll spend a lot of time on versus like doing some like slightly woo woo practice that leaves me with a lot more energy. It's like kind of makes sense to like just suspend disbelief and open yourself up to more of it. If it's going to lead to, to you being that much more energized, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's a lot more of a problem for me than you, than you, but. Well, it also brings into question, um, what real productivity is yeah yeah it's what does it yeah 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 that's really funny that's a that's a a tension for me and that i um i i did actually enter like uh i didn't uh have like exposure to psychedelics in my teenagers and i'm kind of fortunate i I, i'd be interested actually it'd be be very interesting I, i i first experience it when i was like 23 or 24 um and it would be really interesting if i if i experienced it earlier in my formative journey like we're, we're, how that would change it but um that i i first got interested in it for a, a productivity perspective when like tim ferris was interviewing people about it like it was like just that like first like intro into coming into the norm and and, and microdosing and it's had um it's been um like very powerful and like connecting like in, in one my own development and connecting me to purpose but it but it's also changed exactly what i like what i see as productive and and meaningful work uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it makes me think of kind of um this idea of horizontal intelligence or horizontal growth versus vertical growth and you know, horizontal growth is kind of knowing a little bit about a lot of things or kind of handling a little bit of a bunch of stuff, right? Having 30 different tasks to do and kind of just slowly chipping away at all of it. Um, Personally, that's the road to burnout for me. 
um, because it feels like you're never actually making progress and you never actually have a deep sense of connection and real knowledge of what it is that you're doing. Um, and I think a lot of kind of productivity hacks and our way of thinking about productivity prioritizes this horizontal management of all the things, you know, all the keeping, keeping all the plates spinning, right? Eventually they're going to come crashing down. Whereas this deeper way of inner work, whether the goal is more productivity or deeper knowledge of self or more mental, spiritual, emotional wellness, I think actually requires that verticality, that deepening in to self and into whatever it is that you are doing. I mean, the word discipline comes from disciple, right? Which is a sacred relationship with whatever it is you are devoted to doing. Yeah, that's such a good distinction. Like if I, if I had to describe uh, how like diving into the, the, the more than rational has like influenced the, the, the way I, I, I get stuff done is it's like a very much a grounded like view. It's almost like I um, um, like the canvas for me to think and reason previously was right behind my eyes. And like through the more than rational, it's like completely embodied it, but also like grounded it and what's like, what's beneath me. Uh, mm -hmm. And that word that you just said embodied, I think is the key. I think it's, I think it's the key because, because we live in our bodies, right? Um, and so ways to reconnect to the body um, bring us back into the self, which I think is one of these beautiful connective pieces between you know extreme sports mountain sports um all of all of that right with these deeper processes and and, and modes of exploration is through the body mm. yeah yeah that's so true i'm curious if it, if there's any other um any other areas like uh like relevant that we haven't covered in terms of deeper lessons in the, the outdoors? I mean, you know, just to go back to that, conver that, that conversation of initiation, you know, every single traditional rite of passage was done in the lap of nature. Mm. So I think, you know, programs in the States like Knowles um, or Outward Bound, um, wilderness therapy organizations, at least the ones that are not <laughs> punitive and, and oriented towards punishing kids. Um, study abroad organizations like the ones that I mentioned and worked for. Um, Nature-based therapy organizations that, that utilize the natural world as a part of spiritual growth. Organizations like the Animus Valley Institute, which is Bill Plotkin's uh, organization, the School of Lost Borders is uh, probably the oldest wilderness rites of passage organization in the U.S. Um, there's all sorts, you know, there's all sorts going on. I think, um, uh, yeah, those are all the ones that off the top of my head. Well, Simon, this has been a, an, an incredible conversation. I, I, I really... Um... 
I, I, I reached out to you because I like you're a wealth of knowledge in this like dip psychology space. And I, and I, I didn't, I wasn't really sure what would cover in this conversation. Um, but I knew that in this like exploration of the deeper lessons of uh, that we learn from the outdoors and, and how we can use our time outdoors to, to, to bring us inspiration, healing, and, 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 and connection like that, that uh, you'd have a lot of wisdom to, to share. And you, you absolutely have i i've got so much from this this conversation and, and kind of pulling threads um to, to together excellent tim it's, it's been a real pleasure yeah thanks for having me thanks for listening to this episode like i said this was an intellectual adventure so please let me know how it lands for you if it resonated i encourage you to experiment with the practice simon shared of taking some time in nature and making an offering and wandering yourself, opening yourself up for a sign and, and a dialogue with nature. I practiced it a few times since the conversation and found it to be a powerful stillness practice, but also a fun exercise in opening yourself up for the more than rational. I provided a bunch of links in the show notes if you want to go deeper on any of the topics we've spoken about. And if you'd like to connect with Simon, I've connected, uh, included a link to his Instagram as well as his counseling website, which is links for booking uh, coaching, counseling, or psychedelic integration services. If you'd like to connect with me, my Instagram is linked. Uh, I'm also aiming to get these episodes out Every second Tuesday moving forward. I've been been thinking about which cadence works for me and we're going to aim for that um, moving forward. But as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.